Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I certainly am. Um, I have been thinking about something today's guest posed toward the end of the interview. And I decided to pose it to you right now so you can think about it as you listen today. Keisha Yeres is a victim of domestic violence. And the beautiful part of the story is that she is no longer a victim. She was able to break the cycle and now wakes up with an attitude of gratitude. And what she says at the end of the podcast today is this. Do what makes you happy no matter how hard it is. Seems pretty obvious and pretty simple, right? But really, you know, it's it's not. Some of you may have just literally stopped dead in your tracks with the realization that this episode is going to hit at just the right time because you're not doing what makes you happy. And I think the trick to this statement is to actually take the time, clear your mind, and ask yourself, what makes me happy? Right now, today, in my life, what makes me happy? What literally fills your soul to the point of bubbling over when you have a physical response to happiness? You know that feeling. If you can answer that question, you have accomplished something right there. For many people, it takes time to figure out what makes you happy at this point in your life. The next question is this, is what I'm doing in my life right now aligned with what makes me happy? So there you go. Ponder that big one for a moment and hit pause if you need to, or just let it roll around in the back of your mind while you listen to Keisha's story. Keisha grew up in the Bronx and was married young. The signs of abuse didn't start for many years. And when they did, it was more of a controlling nature um, until the abuse became physical. And Keisha is such a giving person. See, the reason she decided to become public with her story is to help others because as you can imagine, sharing something this personal can be both difficult and dangerous. I think this interview will resonate with those of you who feel stuck, trapped, or unable to make tough decisions to move your lives forward. And if you do suffer from domestic abuse, please reach out and we'll direct you, direct you to some resources that may be able to help. On a separate note, you may already be familiar with Keisha. She won the Women's Running Magazine cover contest uh, earlier this year. All right, then let's bring Keisha onto the show. So are you ready to roll? I am ready. <laughs> awesome, Keisha. So great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for carving out some time in your busy life. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. 
Um, you know, you are a woman with so much going on and so many passions. And what's really amazing is that you have sort of fallen into the mainstream's eye in the past year or so. And it's not because of a fairy tale story. I mean, now maybe you're having one, but it's because you've had to overcome some serious challenges in your life. And I'm going to kick us right into that because really I came to know who you were when I saw you on the cover of Women's Running Magazine. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) Which is like no small thing, right? All of a sudden, here you're doing your thing and you're in your own life, and then you're on the cover of a big time national magazine. So, first yeah. of all, <laughs> so you won um, the cover like contest, right? Yes, the women's so, running um, cover contest. Yes. So, tell us a little bit about that. So, what was the process here? And, and, and we're going to get into why were you even up yeah. for consideration? So, um, so basically I, I had been running for about seven years, um, you know, with different, different individuals in the community. Um, New York city has a big running community and, and you get to meet a lot of people, you know, in different races and just on your day to day training. And, um, I had met a friend, a very good friend, um, a couple of years ago and she knew my story and she knew why I started running and, and, and she was actually the one that sent me the link for the for the women's running cover contest and suggested that I that I put in for it. And I said, you know, so many people are gonna put in for it, you know, what I don't think I should put in and she bugged me all day long and finally I was at work and um, on my phone I filled out the application and I submitted for it. Never, never, ever imagined that I would even be in the in the top ten, and um, I actually have forgot that I put in for the for the contest. And about two months later, I think um, I received an email saying that I was in the top ten, and um, I, I I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it at that moment. And um, at that moment, I realized that wow, um, you know, I I told my story um, via email and. If I possibly win this, um, my story is gonna go. It's gonna go viral. It's gonna go live, and and everyone's everyone's gonna know my story. And that kind of um, made me a little uncomfortable at first. Um, one thing is to you know to tell people your story um, when you're when you're running or when you're you know when you're speaking to them in private. But another thing is to completely share your story with strangers. Um, so that took me back a little bit. Um, and I was uncertain as to whether or not I wanted to, you know, expose myself and not only myself, but expose my daughter as well, mm-hmm. um, to, to, to my reality, to what really got me to, to running to re- what really got me to where I am today. Um, so, so I was in the top 10 and, um, then life votes and through, you know, through Facebook, through, through just individuals who subscribe to the magazine um, it started to happen and, um, eventually I got the call that I was the winner of the contest. <laughs> so, so they, they basically took you through just some internal rounds, right? Like they kind of weeded people out and they said, what, who in this mass of people who submitted to be on the cover of our magazine has a story that can help change lives? I think that yeah. was the point, right? Yeah. There was over 10,000 applications submitted. Wow. 
Wow, that is amazing. So here's the deal. You mentioned this idea that, you know, when you're telling someone a big part of your life, like something very personal, um, in confidence, it feels safe, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And And we live in a world of social media where a lot of things aren't safe anymore. So you have to be careful of what you do and say at any given time. But, but there's, there's one thing to let the cat out of the bag when it affects just you, but when it affects other people in your life and especially your children, that's when it really makes you do a double take, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about your actual story here. Okay. We've danced around it a little bit, but we really do need to get into it. And you've already been exposed and it's already out there. And many of us have read it in women's running magazine and other places. Um, you know, maybe we just start with this statement. You married your high school sweetheart at 20 years old, right? Correct. So tell me about that. Tell me about your relationship and how you met and and why you decided to get married so young. So, um, so basically, you know, we were together for, for a really long time. Um, I was together, I was, I, I started with, with her dad when I was in high school and I was, um, 16 years old. Um, he was a bit older than I was. Um, and basically we were together for a really, really long time. Um, and, um, I want to say when I graduated, you know, it was, it was all, it was all good. It was a good relationship in the beginning, um, probably for about the first seven years. Um, you know, we decided that after, after I graduated high school, we moved in together and that now it was the time to get married. You know, he, he pushed me to, to continue to go to, to college and, and I, and I went to college. I, I received my, um, my undergraduate degree. Um, and he, you know, he was a big part of that because he didn't keep me from, from going to school and getting my studies. Um, it was after I had kind of developed my own identity and kind of one and kind of knew what I wanted to do in life and, and, and kind of, you know, diverted into being my own person that the problems really started. It's like Um, when, when you gained self-confidence and right. maybe there was a threat that you might become more independent or not need him as much. Absolutely. You know, like I said, he was he was older than I was um, uh, by about nine years. Um, so, you know, starting starting so young and being in a relationship and not really knowing anything other than that relationship. Um, it was like almost my safe space as well. You know, and it's, it's a little cliche because, you know, it. I felt like it was my safe space, but at the same time, it wasn't my safe space, um, you know, thereafter. So, you know, so I, we, we got married. Um, there wasn't really much thought into into getting married so early. It was like, you know, we've been together for so long. We live together. Let's just get married. And, where, um, and so we did that. Where did you live at that time? At the time, I lived in the Bronx, uh, Bronx, New York. Wow. And where um, do you where do you I, live now? I live upstate in Putnam County. I live in Brewster, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only been here for about four years. I, I, I was born in Puerto Rico. My parents moved to New York City for, of course, a better life um, when I was nine years old. And uh, I grew up in the Bronx, a pretty tough neighborhood in the Bronx, the South Bronx, which is actually mile 20 of, um, of the New York City Marathon. So, awesome. um, yeah, so I, I, as a little girl 
growing up, I've always seen the marathon on, on Marathon Sunday. Um, my parents would take me to, to watch it um, off the Willis Avenue Bridge. And um, so, yeah, so I grew up in, in a pretty rough neighborhood in the Bronx. And then when I had my daughter and I separated um, from my then husband, I I decided that it was time for me to, you know, to purchase my own home and to and to move, you know, far away, uh, move into a space where my daughter was safe and move into a space that gave her the ability to, you know, to run free and not have to worry about anything in the environment that would harm her. Um, so I moved up to, to the countryside, um, not really knowing anyone, just took the leap of faith and, and moved. Well, and that all, I mean, probably before we get into the courage that you had to go do that, we need to get down and dirty on what happened in your marriage and how did the relationship turn? So, um, so basically, like I said, um, I, I, I basically, I went to college, I got my undergraduate degree. And after that, I, you know, I kind of knew where I wanted to be in life and what I wanted to do. Um, I'm not a person of comfort. Um, I, I, I like to do, I'm very spontaneous. I like to do different things and, and kind of take, you know, I take, I, I take myself, you know, I take every day as it comes and I don't take things for granted. And, um, I kind of decided that, you know, I knew where, where I wanted to study. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew where I wanted to work. Um, I started to develop friendships, you know, with individuals in school, um, started to develop friendships with individuals at work, um, wanting to go out, wanting to do different things that didn't involve my husband. That brought, that, that started to bring problems into the relationship. And so he became at some point abusive towards you. And yep. how, how did this start? Um, so it started with um, checking where I was, um, checking my receipts to make sure that I was where I said I was. Um, and then eventually we got into arguments and then those arguments led to physical confrontation. Um, and it all spiraled out of control from there. Wow. And so it, it, looking back, it was a series of steps and, and, you know, that happened over time. Would you, like, how would you counsel someone listening who's saying, you know, my husband or boyfriend or girlfriend is starting to become overly protective and, and jealous and, and things that they hadn't been? Like, would you say this is a sign you need to stay on it? Or what would you tell them? It absolutely is a sign. Um, you know, I didn't realize it until, until I guess very far into the relationship that you know these signs were, were were signs of domestic violence. Um, you know, there's many different types of domestic violence. You have verbal abuse, you have physical abuse. Um, you know, there there there's so many, and and you have to educate yourself to know which one you're in, if, if you're in, in, you know, in, in a relationship where it's showing some signs, um, of domestic violence. Um, you know, for me, it became verbal at first, then it became physical and, you know, we have the control and, 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 and wanting to be, you know, yourself and not really being able to, because you're worried as to what's going to happen in your relationship and, and, you know, what your husband or, or wife are, are going to think and how they're going to react. So you, you kind of, hide you kind of go into a shell and you're never 100 percent yourself 
Um, and those are signs. If you are, if you're panicking because, you know, you're out shopping and you're out too late. Um, if you're, if you're panicking because you might say something that might, you know, get your, your spouse upset, those are little signs that you're not in a real healthy relationship and you have to reevaluate where you're at at the moment in that relationship. That's a, I mean, that is such a great point. And, you know, I think almost everyone I know has moments, whether they're in a healthy relationship or not, where they start to feel that way. And it's a sign that something's just not right in your life, even. It could be in your own head that you're making all that up. But Mm -hmm. a lot of times, it's not. It's a result of imagining what the result will be if you come home late. Or, yes, or if you say the wrong thing. So when when your um, relationship, you know, started to become abusive... Were you pregnant? You know, what? how was your status at that point? Did you have your baby yet? I did not have my daughter yet um, when it when it started. Um, we decided to to get pregnant uh, after a couple of years after I left. I left the relationship about two times prior to becoming pregnant. Um, and I moved in with my parents at one point. Then I returned back um, to the relationship you know, it would get better and then it would, it would start, it would spiral out of control again. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was several times and, 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 and that's where I think it's almost like a drug addiction. You keep going, going back, even though you don't want to go back, but you do, because this is all you've known for, you know, for 10, 15 years of your life. Um, this is your comfort zone. This is the person that you've spent your life with, who you've built, um, a relationship, a home. Um, so you kind of question whether, you can live without this person. Well, um, it, and that's your normal, you know? Right. And, you know, you, you mentioned you grew up in a tough neighborhood. Like, there is an element of, well, life is tough, right? Right. So right. it was there, you know, just maybe a little more, expand a little more on where you grew up. And was this something that was just sort of expected, that violence happened sometimes? Yeah, I mean, so I grew up in the South Bronx uh, on Willis Avenue, and it was, you know, a drug-infested area. Um, you would see the drug dealers selling drugs right in front. Um, you would actually see people getting killed right in front of your face. Um, and, and, and you know, you, have to, you had to be very resilient living in that area. My parents were extremely, extremely vigilant of us and didn't allow us to really go outside. Um, and, and, and very careful as to who we spend our time with, um, during that time, during the time that I was growing up, I was, um, a part of a youth group, um, in church. And that's basically where I spent most of my time. It was with other peers, my age, um, in, in an environment where, you know, we were taught that going to school was important, where we were taught that, you know, we had to be careful who we, who, who we spend time with. Um, you know, just an environment where where the leader of the youth group empowered the young people that attended the program, um, you know, to become something um, in order to get out of the neighborhood, neighborhood or, you know, be better um, than what we were seeing in that environment. Well, and, and that is, that's really powerful, actually. And first of all, that they have programs like that. And that they actually work to an extent. I mean, it sounds like you were surrounded by very healthy influences, your parents, 
who had your best interests at heart and they were trying to help bring you a better life. This Mm -hmm. youth program, right? So you were developing a strong sense of who you wanted to be, even as a younger person, right? So it's, Mm -hmm. it's tough because here you are somebody who has all the tools to remove yourself from, you know, a neighborhood or a a culture that didn't necessarily have a great potential ending, but yet you still ended up with a man who eventually changed and he kept sucking you back into the cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, right. You mentioned getting out. I mean, how and when did you, were you able to finally break the cycle? Cycles are hard to break. It's like habits. There's comfort in knowing that, yeah, you might get beat up or have something really shitty happen to you, but there's comfort in knowing that, like, at least you know what's going to happen. Leaving is incredibly scary. From the outside looking in, it seems like, well, that's obvious she had to get out of there. But I can understand why you kind of kept going back for a while. Yeah, and it wasn't the easiest thing to do. You know, at the point where I decided that I that I that I was going to leave, I, I had my daughter, and and she was two at the time, and um, and and she was basically my motivation to to go. Um, my 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 place of of work was also motivation to go. I was working, you know, as a child protective specialist for the administration for children's services in New York. Um, so I was investigating cases of abuse and neglect and um, going into homes and, 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 and environments where women or even men were were getting abused. And here I am telling them that they can't live this way um, or their children were going to be removed from the care. But here I was also living that way. So who was I to tell them that they couldn't live that way while I, mean, I was? It just had to perpetuate sort of a, I don't know, like a, a, you were living in a way where you weren't respecting yourself, mm-hmm. but I, it's a really, it's just such a tough thing. I think everyone listening can understand, you know, I wondered too, like, were there times when you actually had uh, physical signs of abuse yet you had to go out there in the world and feel like a hypocrite telling these people other people that they needed to remove themselves and they could probably in your head they're looking at you going yeah but you're not yeah i i I actually remember one one incident specifically where um where i had a bite mark on my neck and um i went to a public pool with a with a with a friend a high school friend and um she she knew my husband and and we used to always go out on double dates and we specifically went to this pool and and she looked at me and she saw the bite mark on my neck and she said, he bit you? And I just didn't know how to respond. All I did was put my head down. Um, and But she knew. She she knew what was happening. And, and, and you know, and that's a, a perfect example of, of, you know, having these physical scars on you, but still trying to, you know, to live your life and still move forward as best as possible. That is... I mean, that visual is, it's tough to remove, you know, did you find yourself making excuses for yourself or him? Um, not, I don't think really making excuses, um, more of just forgetting and not really, not really dealing with what was happening. Mm -hmm. Just going through the motions of, okay, it happened. It's not going to happen again. Um, 
it's done. It's it's not going to happen anymore. And just moving forward and not never speaking about it. Mm-hmm. Which is just denial, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you did you decide to have a baby? Did you two say let's do this, or did you get just get pregnant? I didn't just get pregnant. Um, it was we had been trying to have a baby uh, for probably about three to four years um, prior to Haley, and um, I was having a hard time getting pregnant. And Haley's actually in vitro, an in vitro baby. Um, so I was having a hard time getting getting pregnant. So the second time that we got back together after I had separated, um, I I said, you know what? And, and 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 the big thing is that part of our part of our issues um, at that time were the fact that I couldn't get pregnant. Um, so that was bringing a lot of stress into relation into the relationship. And 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 he he has two older children as well. And he basically kind of didn't want any more kids. And, and that was kind of an eye-opening for, you know, eye-opener for me. And I said, you know what, if you don't want any more kids and I, and I want kids, then, you know, we really can't be together. Um, and he kind of said, you know what, okay, I'll, I'll give you a child. And that's kind of what brought us back together. So we went through the whole in vitro process. Um, and I ended up getting pregnant the first time around. And that's, that's how Haley came. Wow, that's actually that's amazing because it usually that's a stepping stone to the you know the next method, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. So you were very lucky there, but were you in your head thinking, well, maybe this will change our relationship forever, or did you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I thought mean, that this was gonna it was gonna bring us closer together. That you know the abuse was gonna go away because now you know we had a child to take care of and couldn't expose her, you know, to things like that, um, you know, any violence, but it really didn't change. Even when you were pregnant? Um, when I was pregnant, it was more emotional. Um, he, yeah, it wasn't physical uh, during my pregnancy. It was more emotional. Um, he wouldn't touch me during my pregnancy, you know, things like that, that would, that would kind of get to me. Like, am I not attractive to him anymore? Like things that make me question myself as a woman. Wow. And that's, it's so screwed up, but I can understand it. You know, I mean, hindsight's easy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When you get Sorry. distance, time and distance from something really makes it clear. But when you're in it, so, you know, a lot of times when we have a problem, we will put band-aids on them, like it's a temporary fix. And <laughs> a lot of people do this with kids, you know, it's yep. like, and not to say like you didn't want a kid and that maybe it could have changed things forever. But most of the time that if you don't figure out what the core problems are and you both really dig deep and admit that you have a problem having a baby or putting a bandaid on in a different way, like moving or, you know, all kinds of different things people do. It's not going to change the problem. The problem's still there. Absolutely. Did, um, we yeah. you- were you ever able to have conversations with him? Like, does he recognize that he treated you that way? So once, uh, um, once I left, um, I, we decided that we were going to go into individual counseling. And, um, and I went into individual counseling. I, 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 I actually moved out. I completely moved out. This was the first time that I actually moved out and got my own place. Um, 
and um, we both went into individual counseling. But I kind of suspected that his individual counseling wasn't working. You know, um, like I said, working for the Administration for Children's Services, we're exposed to so many different services that we kind of know what the community um, organizations provide. And one of the big issues in domestic violence is that the accountability programs that they have are not really accountability programs and almost empower the abuser. And, um, and I kind of had a feeling because he wasn't changing. He was actually becoming more violent, which I expected because once, you know, a victim leaves, that's exactly what happens. It is, it is you know, once the victim decides to leave, that is the most um, scariest and, and hardest time for the victim um, to get, you know, to get more physically abused, to get hurt, to even get killed. Um, so, so I kind of suspected because things got a little worse. Um, when I moved, he didn't know where I moved to. I thought that he didn't know where I moved to. But during the time that I was looking for the apartment where I moved into, um, I left my lease inside my purse. And it appears that he had went into my purse and he knew where I was moving. Um, so things started to happen around my neighborhood that, that made me realize that he didn't know where I, where I was moving to. Um, you know, he, he, he was telling me things over the phone of where I was, um, and what I was doing and, and it just became a little more scary to me, um, you know, that I had to be a little more vigilant where, where I was even, and this is even with my daughter, he would show up at my house late at night, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning, ringing my doorbell because he wanted to see my daughter and, um, you know, me being who I am, I, I would still allow him to come in and see our daughter. Um, but I would tell him, you can't just show up at my house at four or five o'clock in the morning. Like um, my daughter sleeping at this time. And, and, you know, you have your time where where you can see her. And um, and just he became a little more verbally abusive um, over the phone. He was frustrated at the fact that he could no longer control my movement. Um, so that made it harder. Wow. I mean, are you still, are you still in touch with him? I mean, he is the father of your daughter. Yeah, we're still in touch. We, we have our issues still. Um, it gets easier every year, I would say. Um, it's not a hundred percent. Um, we try to co-parent as best as possible. I, Haley absolutely adores her father. We don't expose Haley to any of or try not to expose her to, to you know to any of the violence um you know I left when she was two so you know she 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 saw some of the arguments um she was never exposed to any of the physical um part of our relationship um but definitely definitely screaming and shouting matches and and disagreements that she's definitely exposed to um, once we moved, it, once I moved, um, it became a little more difficult because it was now the questioning, um, asking Haley things, who was in the house, who wasn't in the house to the point where I had to kind of speak to Haley and say, you know, mommy and daddy are not together and mommy doesn't ask you any questions about who's at daddy's house and what do you do with daddy for a reason. So if daddy asks you things, um, about mommy's house, you can't tell daddy um, and, and that was a really uncomfortable situation for me because I don't want my daughter to lie. I don't want to teach her to lie, but for our safety, we needed to do the, I needed to have this conversation with her 
um, so that she knew what she was able to speak about and what she wasn't able to speak about just because it wasn't safe for us. Wow, that's, I mean, that's huge. And that, she's, kids are so smart. Like, she understands there's something, you know, awkward or different about this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. as moms, we want our children to grow up seeing what a beautiful, healthy relationship is like so that they'll have that as their example, not a scary, you know, unhealthy relationship. So, yeah. so it's good you know, that you left before she can really remember anything. <laughs> yeah. But the remnants remain, you know, what are your thoughts Absolutely. on that? You know, one of my one of my things with Haley, um, one of the most important things for me with her was that she was she is she is so spunky and and so alive and and she, you know, she's almost like a chameleon. She 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 adjusts very well. Even when we moved out, you know, she was still happy and you know, go lucky girl. And 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 I wanted her to remain this way. Um, I didn't want her to be impacted in a way where it would change, you know, just how she was. And, and, and that was important for me. Um, you mentioned that she gave you the courage and the motivation to leave. If you didn't have Haley, do you think you'd still be in your marriage and in that cycle? Probably. Probably. Wow. I mean, everything here, every decision you've made has led you to a good point. To a point where now you are healthy. Are you, have you had relationships, you know, since him? So I had um, a couple of relationships since him. And one was almost um, after, after the one directly after him almost became that control as well. But I knew the signs at that time and was able to get out right away. Um, And then um, I had, I, I, the relationship that I'm in now, um, which is totally healthy. It's a totally healthy relationship, very encouraging. Um, my boyfriend's very encouraging. You know, he comes to my races and he, he takes care of Haley and he does homework with her. And, you know, um, and, and he's aware of, of my past. Um, it was really hard to, to date and trust anyone after. Um, and I still now go through those issues of completely trusting someone. Um, you know, with my life and my home and my daughter, um, you know, and, and when I constantly have to discuss, you know, with my current boyfriend, you know, my, my past issues and why, you know, why sometimes we have the disagreements that we have or we don't see eye to eye um, is because sometimes it's hard for me to, to trust, to fully trust. And that will probably be something you have to work on for the rest of your life. Yes. Because what does it mean to trust? You know, I mean, I mean <laughs> go ahead. It, you know, it's, 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 it's hard. Like you have, you know, I have my daughter, which is like the most important thing in my life. Um, and, 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 and trusting someone to be around her and for her to get used to someone um, that possibly might not be around later on. That's like the hardest thing for me. Um, I don't want her to get used to someone being around and then gone in two, you know, in two months, three months, four months. So it's hard for me to expose her, um, to certain things just because I want her to have that continuity. Um, it's important for me to, for her to have that continuity. Um, Haley's also, she's a special needs child. 
Um, she has ADHD and she has dyslexia. Um, so she learns differently from other kids. Uh, she's very smart. And like I said, she's very uh, spunky and happy. Um, and you could, you wouldn't tell that she has these disabilities. Um, so it's hard for her to comprehend certain things. Um, and explaining them to, explaining things to her in, in, in a childlike way um, sometimes is hard for me. So it's, you know, it's exposing her to, you know, to someone that's going to be there continuously just so that I can give her that continuity and she doesn't have to ask too many questions. Um, that's, that's what's hard for me. I can understand that. And, you know, in the end, you also, you had to create a lot of internal protections for yourself and build walls. And like you said, you became a shell at certain points. And, yeah. you know, it's hard not to transfer that onto your child. And in order to trust someone new, you have to open that up and break all those down and become totally vulnerable or else trust can't happen on both sides. Absolutely. I mean, that is a process. You cannot do that alone. Did you get some therapy along the way? I did. I, 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 um, I'm sorry. As soon as I left the relationship, I went into therapy for two years and well, completed therapy for two years. And you mentioned that you were both having individual therapy, and, and it sounds like you yours really took, and his maybe yeah. not. But that's amazing, I, and I'm so glad you did it. Yeah, at one point I went to his therapist. His therapist wanted to have a, a session together. Um, and that was an intense, intense um, session. And it actually turned everything around because he stopped going after that. Um, for some reason, he felt like she took my side. Um, just some of the things that, that he was exposing to her, they weren't a, the complete exposure of what exactly was happening in the house. Um, and I remember the therapist asking him during our session, "Do you, are you listening to what she's telling you? Like, she, she felt like he wasn't listening, like he wasn't grasping what the session was all about. And, 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 and as I explained, you know, my needs, my wants, and, and what was happening, what, what actually was happening in the relationship, he wasn't grasping that, and he, he was becoming defensive. And he almost felt like after that session, because he, he verbalizes to me, that, he, um, that she took my side, and he felt that she was no longer giving him um, good therapy. And instead of finding someone else, he just completely stopped going to therapy. And that just wasn't good enough for me because I was still going to my therapy. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that I didn't need therapy anymore. So what made you realize that? Um, basically, I realized it when I started to hear myself over and over again discuss the same problems. And I kind of knew what the problem was. I just needed to problem solve the problem. Yeah, you didn't just need to keep talking about it. You needed to yeah. take action. That is such a good point. We all do that. You get stuck yeah. in the spiral way of thinking, right? Yep. Wow. So was there a certain thing, a catalyst that was able to kind of crack the shell? Um, you know, it, it was a series of things. Just, you know, like I said, speaking about the same problem over and over again, the control, how he would, you know, kind of take me out of, of my, my, my zone, how he would control my mind. Um, it was just 
speaking about it over and over again, not just to my therapist, you know, to my best friend, I would talk to her and, and she would tell me the same thing. Like, you can't let him bring, you know, this side of, of you out, out of you. You have to control your mind. You have to control him. Now you can't, you can't let him control you anymore. If it gets to the point where you're having a conversation and he gets verbally abusive and he starts speaking to you in a certain way, you hang up the phone. You don't sit there and you continue to have a conversation with him and go back and forth because it's not going to help. So I had to realize that. I had to realize that at some point I had to tune him out and you know, I couldn't continue to be in that vicious cycle. And that's such a good point is that at some point you have to change your action once. And the first time you yeah. hang up on him or the first time you say no or whatever it is, like that triggers a series of change. It's amazing. Yeah. But there's a lot of courage that goes into the, those first steps. You know, I, yeah, was, I mean, you could you continuously, you know, you continuously entertain it. And as long as you entertain it, there's going to be something to speak about. But if you don't entertain it, then that person has no one to talk to, no one to scream at, no one to curse at. So um, that was the, that was a big change for me because I would constantly entertain. Wow, that is a great way to put it. You, when you look at photos of yourself 15 years ago, what word comes to mind and why? Vulnerability. Mm. why I would say because you know I was so young um maybe naive at the time and and I would just I would just go with the flow it wasn't it, it wasn't a hundred percent what I wanted it well, was a hundred percent what he wanted oh that is that's a strong statement Think about living your whole life 100% on someone else's terms. Your whole life. Wow. Yeah. So and it was basically my, 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 my life from the age of 15 to the age of 25, 26. You know, so, my, my years of, of, of college, you know, basically when you're just trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life and, and build your own identity. My identity was based on someone else. And those are formative years. Even yeah. with the positive influences you had, this one influence was just so strong. You know, when you look at yourself in the mirror today, what word comes to mind and why? powerful oh i like it <laughs> and that's why a good, um yeah that's a good word yeah um you know i've achieved so much during the time um you know from the time that i left i i went back to school um i got my master's degree um being a single mom working full-time uh a very busy business schedule um, I completed my first Ironman while going to graduate school and working full-time and being a full-time mom. Um, there's just so many things that I've done, so many goals that I've set for myself and I've completed and achieved every single one of them um, that it, it makes me feel powerful. Um, that's just the way my workouts make me feel. It makes me feel like I have control of myself um, and, and it just makes me feel strong. So mind and body are really connected here. I want to talk a little bit about how you started running. 
because you mentioned, you know, in your story, I read that you'd become depressed. I mean, obviously, you'd gained weight. You just were on a path that wasn't very positive. So how right. did you change that? And what, what did your first step running look like? um so basically i worked in the bronx um my my field office was in the bronx um and there is a path off the hutchinson metro north and um everyone every day at lunchtime i would take a walk on there and i would see people biking and running and doing all types of activities on that path And this was after I separated uh, first couple of months, I decided that I was going to go out and I was going to lose weight because I had um, my weight has spiraled out of control. Um, I've always been thin um, as a child. And then when I got into my 20s, I started to gain a little bit of weight, but it really didn't get out of control until after I had my daughter, um, where I was 209 pounds at the time. And um, I'm 5'5". So I was definitely um, overweight and obese. And I said to myself that I wanted to feel better about myself. Um, Some of our issues, you know, if I dressed up a little bit, it was like, where are you going? You're going to work looking like that. Um, Why are you dressing up now? Um, So, you know, I kind of stopped dressing up because I didn't want those questions. I didn't want him to question where I was going Um, I just basically just wanted to feel good about myself, but that wasn't allowing me to feel good about myself because it was being questioned. Um, so once I left, I decided that I wanted to, to lose the weight and I went to the back of my building every day at lunchtime and I started to run a little and walk a little, run a little and walk a little. And eventually my best friend who also works with me joined me and we decided that we were going to do our first 5k (laughs) together. And we build up our endurance to do a 5K, and that we did. Wow. <laughs> like, that's yeah. amazing. You just, like, you took your first steps by yourself. By and then you, And then you, like, attracted people to this positive change you were making. And your best friend was like, I'm doing this with you. I mean, yeah. it doesn't really get much better than that. Yet, you know, I know why you started. It was out of a need to find yourself again. And Mm -hmm. wow, that story, it gives me chills. It's amazing. So what, when, and what was your first 5k? So it was in Connecticut. My first, my first 5k. Um, I had, I I had ran a 10k when I was 15. I want to say, no, when I was 13, I ran a 5k, uh, with my, with my teacher, uh, my sixth grade teacher. I remember who I still actually have contact with on Facebook. Um, and, and she gets to see like all of my running now. And, um, so I had ran at that time and that was like my only race, um, as a little girl. And so then this 5k came in, in Connecticut and me and my girlfriend, you know, we ran it together. And then from there, we just kept running. Um, we kept running every day. Um, we will build, you know, our, our, you know, our endurance up and, and, she uh, unfortunately she got injured so she couldn't keep on running with me um but i met other people like i said during you know during the races or just during my journey on the hutchinson metro path um co-workers started to join and meet me downstairs at the gym and we would run together 
Um, and it just became some, you know, an escape, but, an, it, you know, it was a happy escape. Eventually, it wasn't an escape from, you know, from the life that I lived 10 years ago. Um, now it was an escape just for me to be able to reflect on life, to be able to reflect on a day, on, on, on a week, on a month, you know, to think about what I'm going to do tomorrow or how I'm going to train tomorrow. Um, it just became my time. It's beautiful. Running is, and, and fitness in general, it is a beautiful way to connect with yourself. When you, like, close your eyes for a second here. Envision <clears throat> yourself running. What word comes to mind? How do you see yourself running? Strong. Oh, I just love that. That it's has so- been, for the last couple of days, that has been my word. I, I, you know, my boyfriend texts me. He's like, how did your run go today? And I tell him, I feel strong. Mm. I, I tell him I feel so comfortable on, you know, on paces that that were uncomfortable for me, um, you know, training for for Berlin this these past couple of months um, have brought, you know, some really good, you know, uh, training and endurance um, and has made me a little faster. And, and, and I tell him I just feel strong, oh, both I'm mentally and physically, not just, you know, I tell myself I'm like, I feel good. So you went from nothing to running marathons all over the world. You're training for the Berlin Marathon right now, correct? Yes. Yep. And where? so what's your overall goal with running? Because you mentioned earlier that having a series of goals has, has helped bring you to a point where you feel powerful in your life. So I take it that goals are important to you. Very important. Very important. Yep. One of the one of the things, you know, I, I got my master's degree um, last year uh, as a mental health therapist. I felt that I had to give back to the community what I received when I was going through such a hard time. And um, one of my goals and my dreams is actually to, and, and it might sound weird, but <laughs> it's actually to become a running therapist. So basically, oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love so, that. Is anyone, have, like, is that a no thing? Idea. Is that a I, thing? I, I have no I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea how this is going to happen. I have no idea, you know, how I'm going to do this. But it's kind of something that came to me. Um, and I said, you know, I, I'll speak to someone. We'll run a little bit. You will have a session and we'll run some more. And, and, and maybe they'll feel good about themselves um, after our session. And that's just that's been one of my thoughts. And it's, it's actually a dream of mine. Okay. Did you get the URL yet? The running no. <laughs> okay, nobody listening. Actually, you're going to get it right now after we hang up, so no one hearing this is going to get it before you. That is brilliant. I believe that you will do amazing things. So uh, that's going to become a new category of jobs. People will put on their tax returns, you know, job, <laughs> running therapist, and this is you. You're innovating. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, the things we have to overcome in life can be big or small, the tough parts, but they can bring us to such incredible places, but only when we do the freaking work to get yes. out of them. Yes. Whew. So what is, your, what is your definition of success? Hmm. Definition of success. Um, I think there's a lot of different definitions depending on, you know, on what your ultimate goal is. I feel successful now. You know, I feel like I've accomplished so much. Um, like I said, finishing my undergraduate through those circumstances, going back to school, getting my master's degree. 
um, you know, being able to, to support my daughter, to provide, you know, her with her needs on a daily basis. Um, you know, just living life just makes me successful. I think that is definitely a really cool way to look at it because people often will have these grand illusions of what success might look like. And it usually involves some kind of like great wealth and like kicking back and living on a beach. But there's, there's perspective in what you've been through and, uh, and it feels really, really great that you're able to live in such a positive way now and pass forward to your daughter, you know, a, a beautiful outlook on life. Yeah, yeah, definitely wealth is not part of my success, um, you know, not part of what I look, you know, look towards. Um, I think I just enjoy that connection with nature and, and being able to be fulfilled, just living on a daily basis, getting up in the morning, getting my daughter ready, being able to get her what she needs, being able to provide for her and speak to her and see her. Um, you know, especially with everything that's going on in the world um, nowadays, um, just being able to to be alive. I think that's just a success in itself. You know, we have uh, we have run more than a 5K. We're winding down here. Um, we're in the cool down. Before I get to the last question that I ask every guest on the show, I have a question for you. And the question is, is there a question that you've always wished someone would ask you, but they've never asked? Hmm. Is there a question? Um, In other words, is there something that, you know, you feel compelled to share that just we haven't hit on yet? Um, no, I think we've hit on everything. Um, if there was one thing that I think a lot of people don't ask others is what makes you happy. Mm, that I is think we, such a good one. Yeah, I think that, you know, we kind of forget, you know, what, what makes us individually happy. And we don't get, we don't get asked that a lot because I guess, you know, everyone, you know, just lives their life the way that they live their life and they I don't know. I think that that's just one question that people forget to ask others. So we're going to pose this of everybody listening. I'm going to ask you to write in when I, anywhere on the Facebook post, however you see this podcast out there, write in and tell us what makes you happy. I love that. Nice job. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, let's get into the last question then here. So... If you could give our listeners one final piece of advice, one nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I would say um, basically to do what you want to do, no matter how hard it is. If you put in the work, everything will, you know, the puzzle will fit together and you will accomplish so much just by putting in some work on a daily basis towards that goal. That is awesome advice. I love it. Do what you want to do. That's the real nugget there, huh? 
And yeah, hard work definitely is involved. But man, <laughs> you I'd be surprised. I, I mean, I think we'd all be surprised by the fact that people are not necessarily doing what they want to do because they probably don't ask themselves what makes me happy enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Well, this was awesome. I so appreciate you and it is not easy to put yourself out there. And I am so glad you did. And I'm glad you made the top 10. And then it made you really ask yourself, am I ready to put myself out there? Because what you've been through and the fact that you've come out the other side can help so many people who are stuck, stuck in relationships, stuck in jobs, stuck in their lives. So thank you. Thanks for being vulnerable and open and honest. Thank you for the opportunity to possibly help someone else well you are a bright shining light in this world and uh you better believe that you're helping people just keep doing what you do thanks so much for coming on the show today thank you for having me domestic abuse is not an easy or light topic to discuss i give keisha so much credit for sharing her journey in the hopes that it may help others Remember her final nugget that I mentioned before the interview started. Do what makes you happy, no matter how hard it is. Sometimes it simply takes a shift in the way you perceive your own priorities. Sometimes it takes a friend or family member to, to, I don't know, tell you something you may not want to hear, give you a little tough love. Sometimes it just takes a big dose of bravery to make that leap and move your life forward. I want you to know that I am doing exactly the things that make me happy right now. I'm really happy to say that because it's taken me a while to get on this good path and this episode is timed so well with the process I've been going through. You know, I've moved and shifted and scooched my life around all the things I do to include only the things that are aligned with what fills my soul. That's Tim and Wilder, the great outdoors, my health and fitness, uh, my incredible business, and the people I work with who I consider my extended family, my community of friends, and my virtual community of friends, and of course, this podcast, which allows me to connect with such incredible people and share their stories to even more incredible people. Do you recognize something that's going on here? Do you see? Do you see it? What makes me happy is connection. Once you can figure that out for yourself, whatever it may be, it makes it a lot easier to see if the things in your life are aligned. So thank you for connecting, listening, and sharing this podcast with the people who you think need to hear it. It means the world to me that you're running this world with me. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and we'll see you next week.